All right, so I have a very important question for you, Richard. Okay. Why was this episode not called Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mud? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll be back next week with another episode. I mean, really, there's nothing we can say that's good. (laughs) I was not expecting that reaction, but I'll take it. We'll give Richard a moment to collect himself. If we need to go back in a time loop and start this podcast over, we can do that. Um, I I liked this episode with some caveats, and I think that Discover. I mean, I don't want to. Two episodes is not a pattern, but I feel like Discovery might be starting to find itself, or at least that is what I am hoping. It's becoming a show now. Yeah. Um. I, I, I quickly glanced on the Discovery Reddit, you know, in between finishing the show and recording, and they hated this episode. So, you know, I think this is a good sign for the episode. Um. But, so, so we, we you know, it, it will be speculating, I guess, uh, on a meta level about this, but... We had said that, you know, Brian Fuller had come up with this idea, and now it's different showrunners who don't seem to be interested in his meta plot. And last, uh, Leith and this episode, I think, were some of the best episodes because they shoved the meta plot to the side. Like, they are tossing out so much. All, you know, the war with the Klingons is in the background. The Klingons are a menace, you know, something's going up with Stamets, but, you know, they don't really care about that. And they're, t- you know, they're telling stories that they actually care about. They are actually giving character development and having, you know, relationships start to occur and blossom. And they're actually like, again, this feels like a show. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because, I, I you know, it's hard to say at, at this point in the run. Of yeah, course, of course. We have to see what the full shape of the season is like before we can sort of comment on that. But, yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and you know, especially with the first episode or the first two episodes, I, I think that were um, – I forget exactly, but I want to say they were story by Brian Fuller, but a large portion of it was still kept from his scripts. And it really does feel like as the season has gone on, they, they certainly are not abandoning the the overarching story. I mean, the Klingon War is still happening. Mm-hmm. The Spore Drive is still happening. But they're figuring out how to weave that into the story specifically about the USS Discovery and its crew. Because one of the things that I think doesn't work for Star Trek, it, and I'm not saying you couldn't make this show, but that's sort of like the Expanse, Game of Thrones style storytelling yeah. where you go to many different areas, many different locations in each episode. You certainly, I'm not saying you could not make that version of Star Trek, but you, Star Trek Discovery is is not that version of Star Trek. And so it's very difficult to to tell the type of story that the show seemed to be wanting to tell in its early episodes. Yeah, I mean, all of the, you know, for as much of a series that is about going off and seeking new worlds, I mean, they generally do stick to even something like Deep Space Nine. I mean, the location is the name of the of, of the series, and usually that's what they do. I mean, in the case of Voyager and Enterprise and now Discovery, they are giving it a very specific location. And, you know, this is a story that's taking place on one area, and having these fragmented stories again 
a large part of it is because I just really don't care about the Klingons this time around. They're very boring. They're very, you know, er, you know, whatever. Like, they're everything that I don't like about Klingons. And so when we're spending time and checking in with the Klingons, I really don't care. You're wasting my time here. Um, and... I want to know the crew that I'm dealing with. I want to know who these people are. I want to see, I want to know whether, you know, are Burnham and Ash and Pretty Pretty Ash Tyler, are they going to or not? You know, what's Tilly going to do now? You know, how is Stamets and Dr. Ricky Vasquez? Like, these are the things, and these these two episodes that we've just seen um, are caring about those things, and that's what I like about it. It is, these these shows are about crews, right? Like, they're about... A group, uh, I mean, something like Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Next Generation especially go out of their way to discuss the crew as a family and to discuss, you know, the bonds that they have between them. And, you know, like it or not, that's one of the draws of Star Trek. And I think to be telling, you know, multiple stories, I mean, because Game of Thrones doesn't have a single unit, uh, you know, it, it, its cast is several different units, whether they're families, whether they're an adventuring group or whatever. Um, and that is a very different style of characterization and one which, I mean, the way that the early episodes of Discovery have kind of ignored that and the focus is pulling more towards that does make me realize how much of a, of a Star Trek thing that is, how much it is a, you know, what are the elements of Star Trek? Well, a tight-knit crew is one of the elements of Star Trek. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I don't think it's incidental that, that while I was watching this episode and we sort of got to the end of it, one of the things that I realized is that I really think that this is the first episode of Discovery where they were gelling as a crew and that I understood yeah. them as having working relationships and having interpersonal relationships. You know, I think it was very smart to ground the time loop in this party because, of course, that is a very sort of interpersonal socialization mm -hmm. that is going a long way towards characterizing the, the actual the the crew in the ship as its own discrete sort of society even and you know and you especially you know in and of itself and compare it to the parties that we have seen compare it to next generation's very formal parties or deep space nine where they're cooking in cisco's uh you know quarters or things like that um i mean this is a this is a frat party basically that gives a very different flavor to discovery's crew yeah, I, I think that's right. And, you know, the other thing, too, of course, is that it's interesting to see how Star Trek Discovery is is using its its reality, frankly, that it is made in 2017. You know, I, I think that, you know, people are probably going to have issues with the music in the episode, for example. But I, I don't care. You know, like, it's fine mm -hmm. to me. I think that that trying to emulate what the original series would have done in that sort of situation or even the next generation would, would have been ridiculous. And, you know, you can certainly quibble, I think, with some of the some of the slang that's used in the episode and things of that nature. I think some of the dialogue is a little too specific to the time period in which this episode was written. But, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what term was used, but there was uh, some toodles term. at one point, but a oh, part well, of that toodles is fine. There was, there was something else that was more specific than that, which was just kind of like, really? Eh, I don't know about that, but, and lines like that made me wonder if that's Rain Wilson just improving. Like, I assume he had a certain amount of leeway, but 
I, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I, start, I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything about I'll be very fascinated to see the production histories come out from the first season of Star Trek Discovery. You know, we don't really know anything about what was going on in the set, but, you know, Star Trek has always had uh, famously buttoned down sets with like no improvis- improvisation whatsoever. Yeah. So I, I don't know if that is continuing or not. But I, I think that the the thing that I struggle with with this episode, as much as I liked it, is like, why? <laughs> why mud? What, yeah, what are... well, this is, I mean, our genu- general question. I mean, why mud is the same question as why the Klingons. I mean, this particular character in this particular episode, I liked very much. He was an effective villain. He was an interesting villain. He did things in his very particular own way. He isn't a standard villain. You know, I liked all of those things. Does that jive with the Harry Mud that we have seen in Star Trek, the original series, in the same sense that do the Klingons we've seen jive with the Klingons as we know them? And the answer is not exactly, not exactly. I mean... This is a this is a mud who has committed murder many times. You know, even though the timeline has erased his actions, he it's still something he's doing. When the mud we've seen is more of a he's a crook, certainly he's a con man. He he's 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 a louse, but he's you know there are certain lines that he doesn't quite cross in the series, and he crosses them in this. And I mean, I, we, I do I mean not to cut you off, but I think that there's a couple things there. I mean, number one, of course, is that. I think it's interesting to compare Mud and the Klingons insofar as, you know, I don't question the Klingons because the Klingons are like one of the three things that if you stopped a random person on the street and asked them yeah. to name something about Star Trek, they would say the Klingons. Yeah. No one would ever say Harry Mud, right? That That's of a deep course. cut. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's just like, hey, look, you know, Harry Mud, blah, it's a deep cut. Look, we know our Star Trek history. I, I don't know. But I also think, too, that this just goes along with the idea that uh, the the Harry Mudd as seen in the original series and the Harry Mudd as seen in Star Trek Discovery are over 50 years apart. They are in very different cultural, social, yeah. and political contexts. You, know, you can get away with more things on television now than you could in 1966. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily see any issues with the portrayal of Harry Mudd by Rain Wilson and the portrayal of Harry Mudd by, I'm going to say, Steve Wozniak. And, <laughs> you know, and so for me, it's like, eh, you know, it's t- the original series appearances of Harry Mudd are 10 years later. Yeah, of course. Whatever. The guy chilled out. Okay. Yeah, I mean, marriage certainly did a good job for him as the end. I mean, and I, I have to say, I liked the, I liked his ending because that does feel like a very TOS ending the way they do that, you know. And I mean, that is very similar to the end of I Mud, isn't it? Um, I, I'm of two minds about that because on the one hand, yes, you know, it can, it is different. It can be different, as you say, different circumstances and such, but. Again, I'm going with the – this is a similar question that I asked about the Klingons. We have the same exact character except we name him something completely different. His name is, you know, Bill Spaceman, and he's doing the same exact things. Uh, that's the same character except it's taking away all the cognitive dissonances I ha- that that I have, and as you say – it's so deep of a cut that really only the hardcore fans are going to know. The hardcore fans are the people who are going to be nitpicking this. And so it, it almost seems like for the 
for the benefits that you get for knowing the reference, the cost may be a little high. Well, and and that does go along with something I've been thinking about, which is that would anyone care about this show if it wasn't a Star Trek show? And I, I honestly don't know. And I mean, I think the show is definitely getting stronger, but I, I don't think it's you know, this is not a a fantastic first season by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, is making this character, Harry Mudd, short-circuiting our, you know, reactions to this character? I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. And, What's more, I guess, for me, you just kind of have to... I, I'm I'm, I'm really coming around to the idea that you just have to approach this show on its own terms. It's doing what it's doing. And you either have to accept it, or if you're going to continually fight against it, you're not going to enjoy it. And, you know, that's okay. I mean, I think that people can engage with television in any way they want. I'm not going to tell anyone how to, criti- how to criticize or watch television. But for me, it's like, all right, well, it's been a few episodes now. I think we have, we're getting a sense of how Discovery is telling its story and how it's approaching its links to the, you know, mythology and canon of Star Trek that has developed over the past yeah. 50 years. All right, let's just go with it. Let's see what they're doing with it. And, you know, if this was a random character, would I have had as much fun with this? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question, frankly. And I I actually like Rain Wilson's portrayal of Harry Mudd. I, I think he does a good job of playing a younger and, and frankly, meaner Harry Mudd. Yeah, um, no, and I didn't really have much of... Again, I don't like the actor. That That is a thing of mine, but... Um, he was only sort of in his first in choose your pain um that is obviously his introduction and he you know here it's much more fleshed out and i i will say he did a very good job of the character um i liked watching him (laughs) yeah so well let's talk about the time loop then because i think that I I don't think this did anything new or different with the concept necessarily, although I think Harry Mudd having control of it was a nice touch. And I think also the idea that Harry Mudd could only rewind 30 minutes. And as soon as you got it, was almost like putting it in a bubble or under like a a, a, like a bowl or something like in a jar. And as soon as the jar broke, it was over and he couldn't go back anymore. Like I thought that was an interesting twist on it. Uh, But for the most part, like. I don't know. There was something that I enjoyed about this episode on the level of, oh, it's a Star Trek time loop story and it's a self-contained episode and it actually has a beginning, a middle and an end. Like, yeah, maybe that's, I don't know. Like, maybe that's maybe I'm just not not expecting too much from this show at this point, but I was on board with it. But, you know, I mean, this is part of the reason that we go to Star Trek, right? For dumb shit like this. And I do like the the episode. uh in a way, and not in a fourth wall-breaking way, not in a dumb postmodern way, but it does understand that we've probably seen this episode before. <laughs> we've seen time loop episodes either in Star Trek or other, you know, other sci-fi series. And so after the second loop, loop and Stamets goes on, he's like, yeah, this has been happening. You know, it kind of skips over the early stages that these shows always get to, like, and recognizes that... You know, we're, we know what's going on by now. By the second time there's a loop, we've got it. And so, you know, let's not, uh, let's not waste the time. You know, let's show some interesting permutations on this. And again, it goes, it, it uses it to get into the character. It tells us some about Stamets. It tells us certainly about, uh, Ash Tyler and Burnham. It gives us 
you know, it, it ties it to the theme of the, uh, you know, in the cap in the personal logs about, you know, repetition and routine and change and all of that, which are lessons that Bur- Burnham needs to learn. I mean, it was this is the kind of story again, we've seen it so many times. It could be done poorly. I think they recognized that I think they figured out the potential pitfalls of this kind of a story and figured out, well, why are we telling this particular story? It's not just because we want to have a weird space thing this week. This is something that actually can be used for. I don't know. It was a very smart take on it, I found. Well, yeah, because I, I think if they, they I think what what this episode seems to me is that it was an attempt by the writing staff of Star Trek Discovery to, to really gel the, the crew. And it worked. Yeah. Like, I think that. You know, the time loop stuff and Harry Mudd and all of that is sort of window dressing and it brings in the Klingons and it reminds you that the war is still going on. You know, interestingly enough, Burnham has a personal log, which takes the role of the captain's log. I don't think we've heard a captain's log from Lorca yet. I, I could be mistaken, but I don't believe we have. I think we did hear mm. one from Giorgio, but not I think from that Lorca. is, you know, I, I, I think that is deliberate. Because, oh, I, yeah, I do. Well, too. yeah, Lorca is still kind of a black box in some ways. And so we aren't really allowed to be intimate with him yet. Well, yeah, except for except for Admiral Kempwell or whatever the hell her name is. Cornwell. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I think that that's really what the point of this episode was. And I think that's why I, I think that's why, I, you know, the more I think about it and the more I talk about it, the more I like it, because. It almost harkens back to that TNG style of storytelling, which is taking the plot of the episode and using it to examine and shine light on the characters. And these characters need a light shined on them. We we don't know yeah. who these people are. And I think Letha last week and this week, uh, uh, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mud, is... <laughs> it's doing a good job of that. I think I'm getting a good handle on who Tilly is, who Burnham is, who Ash Tyler is, you know, who all of these characters are. And it's, it's nice to see the show figuring itself out. And, you know, in a certain sense, there's a lot of talk about how shows don't have the luxury of figuring themselves out anymore that, you know, shows have to come out of the gate fully formed and really well, you know, and, and Star Trek Discovery is kind of disproving that. And it's proving the idea that Star Trek shows always start out a little shitty, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's, you know, the fact of the matter is it's only the seventh episode and it's, it's, it's getting to that place already. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll be curious to see what the next episode is, for example, but yeah, I, I but think I, I'm excited to watch the next episode in a way that I was not excited to watch Letha after Choose Your Pain. Yeah. And I was also very trepidatious to watch, uh, Magic to Make, you know, blah, 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 uh, because, you know, as I, 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 as I said, I, I'm not sure if we're going to get a Letha or we're going to get, you know, some more, you know, another Choose Your Pain and, you know, the more choose your pains we have, the more of a waste of time the show as a whole is. Uh, because again, if it's telling this overarching story, that's I mean, l- let's face it, the overarching story of Star Trek Discovery is not very good, and I think it's starting to recognize that. Again, you can you can feel a pulling away. I mean, these are hangout episodes in a in a bizarre sense. Um, and one of the things I always like about Star Trek is the hangout episodes. Um, yeah, well, you don't you don't get that luxury when you're trying to serialize something and you need to have you know hit these plot beats and tell these stories. Um, it, it, it's funny because I, I think that you know a couple weeks ago when you we were talking about Choose Your Pain, you know we had a, con- a short conversation about you know what Brian Fuller's version of this show would have looked like or been like, and. 
I may not have liked it. You know, I don't know. I think that Brian yeah. Fuller is a guy who probably would have leaned very heavily into the aspects of the story that we are not enjoying as much. And I, I think that what it's really coming down to for me is that I'm going to be more excited to watch season two of this show than I am a season one. Um so yeah, and we've you know we've we can speculate on that as much as we want. We'll deal with the Klingon War. We'll deal with another crew and all of that. But another crew? Yeah, I mean you know another. I I I don't know. You know the we don't know if Discovery is going. Has the season two cast is the same cast? Yeah, it's not an anthology. Okay. Um, you know though it may have a different season arc or whatever. Um, I guess. Prior to Leith, I wasn't sure, and we really have no idea or consistency on how that episode is pronounced, do we? Um, prior to that episode, I would have been okay with the show saying, all right, well, we're going to scrap half the cast and, you know, we're going to have completely different characters. All right, maybe try it again this time. Now I think they're starting to, again, they're starting to figure it out. So let's talk about Burnham then, because... I don't know that she gets a ton of character development in this episode. And I think if anything else, you could probably say that this isn't really anyone's episode. You know, if we're going back to that, uh, uh, you know, classic, I guess, I don't know. What are you going to call it now? Classic track? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> st- style of episode where, you you know, you get one of your main characters who has an episode. Uh, you know, last week was Lorcan Burnham. This week is everybody. It's, it's a crew episode. It's a hangout episode, as you say. Uh, but, you know, we do get a little bit of character development with Burnham. I think she's loosening up a little bit. Uh, you know, she is still uh, very hesitant about forming relationships among the crew or she doesn't know how to do it or she she wants to, yeah. but she's not really good at it. I mean, surprise, surprise, she grew up on Vulcan, so why would she be good at it? And I think that, you know, the one thing that I, I find a little weird is like her, what her secret is, what she tells statements that she's never been in love. It's kind of like, all right. I mean, you know, I don't know. But yeah, but it's, it's, it is the kind of thing. I mean, that felt, that felt right to me because it is the kind of thing that every single person on the ship could probably figure out given a couple of, you know, minutes. But for Burnham to admit it, that she, you know that 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 she recognizes that a version of herself gave the trust to tell Stamets that again. I think Burnham thinks it's a big secret. I think Burnham thinks it is a shame of hers uh, that certainly on Vulcan for her to admit that she had never been in love would be you know well that's silly you know who who you know that that's illogic that's your human side you know worrying about that what is love it's a silly emotion and. It's less that she's confessing the secret and more that she recognized that at some point she trusted him enough to say that. Yeah, I think that's right. And, I, you know, I, I think the one thing that's interesting about the structure of this episode as well is that it allows you to fill in the blanks about what exactly has been going on in a, in a strange way. Yeah. Um, which I think is, you know, nice. I mean, I, I like episodic television that way that you can sort of fill in the blanks for yourself. And. You know, Stamets and Burnham obviously have some respect for each other, and I think Stamets likes Burnham. I think Burnham likes Stamets, and it's an it's a nice moment for their. I mean, I think this entire episode is nice for their relationship because Stamets goes to her most often 
uh, throughout the loops. He is engaging with her most often. You know, he is really figuring out a way to talk to her and make her understand and believe him as quickly as possible. And, you know, Stamets, of course, we'll talk about Stamets because he's got his own shit going on. But at least that relationship feels right. And I think that what's interesting to me also is that I don't get a good sense of what the other crew members' relationships are to each other. You know, I don't really yeah. know what Ash thinks of Stamets or whatever. But Burnham is really the 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 focal point. She's the the fulcrum around which everyone is surrounding themselves and orbiting. And you know, I, I get a really good sense of what Burnham and Stamets' relationship is. I get a good sense of what Burnham and, and Tilly's relationship is. And and I get a good sense of, of what uh, Burnham and, and Ash Tyler wish their relationship was. But we don't really get a good sense of, like, you know, the, the other parts of that. And so, I don't know. This episode worked for me in that way, too, because it's it's recognizing that all of the other characters are sort of there to, in a certain sense, kind of help Burnham along. I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, you know, I... I, I... I'm going back to uh, Captain Giorgio's legacy and how she's saying, you know, she, you know she's recording that, assuming that um, Burnham is going to be the, you know, the captain of a ship at that point that she's giving it. And, you know, her advice is about, you know, here's how you deal with your crew. You have to protect these people. You have to be there for these people that, you know, you're you're a leader to these people. And I mean... I'm going to assume that behind the scenes of this episode, Stamets made several attempts with everybody, including and probably especially his own partner. And Burnham was the only person who has been primed to kind of take these in good faith. I mean, we talk a lot about how TNG, uh, you you take the, you know, a crew says something weird's happened and you take that in good faith and you run with it. Well, yeah. Burnham did that as the first officer on the Shenzhou, we assume. Um, maybe it didn't see as weird shit as the Enterprise did, but it certainly had its share of stuff. And she did kind of have to learn to do that, even as she was detached, even as she was very Vulcan, even as she did defer to Captain Georgiou in a lot of things. And I think this is a version of Burnham that is wanting to open up and trust people more. And so... I I think she is receptive to, okay, this is, you know, he's, you know, she does say at one point, listen, I think we got to get to you to sick bay, but recognizing that, no, he's not rambling and he does have enough of his faculties that if he is this serious and insistent on something, something is up. I mean, at the very least, he mentions this space whale to them and... I mean, that was a moment I like very much. He mentions the space whale. They get the call about that, and immediately Ash and Burnham are all like, okay, something is up here. We need to take this very seriously. We need to worry about this. Yeah, I mean, th- these are Starfleet officers. They they are trained for this. They are open-minded. Yeah. They know what they're doing. And I, I like the space whale stuff a lot, too. I mean, not to change the subject, but you know that that felt very Star Trek to me in a nice way. Yeah. Well, so- it's, a, it's a much more creature-y Star Trek in general, given the tardigrade, given the opening seen and i like the creatures that we've seen they are weird and yet they feel plausible yeah i mean i don't know i, I don't necessarily think that star <laughs> trek and i don't think this is more creature than next generation for example i mean let's not forget that the pilot episode of the next generation had space jellyfish. yeah true so um 
So let's talk about statements then, because, you know, I, we, we get more confirmation that, they, you know, he and Dr. Ricky um, are in a relationship. That is fine. Uh, everything is good there. Uh, I still don't really know why they're together, but I don't really know that we have a good sense of who Dr. Ricky is. So that's probably what's going on there. Yeah, and certainly a... We only saw so much of Stamets before in his first, you know, in his pre-Tardic rating. And so this may be, you know, this version of Stamets who I like and find amusing and interesting is maybe someone that Dr. Ricky Vasquez would not have gone for initially. But, you know, they're partners and something's up with him and he's, you know, going to run with it. But, you know, I I think that might even be a factor here. But... What I'm really, really hoping is that whole mirror crap was just, you know, a an ill-advised metaphor for him living outside the timeline and you maybe see it in this episode or something. Um, oh, I think it totally be- was. Yeah, be- you know, it, it's almost like Lorca's Room of Evil where it's a, you know, the the... the the framing of the scene and everything is very dark, but it has a fairly, well, relatively innocuous, uh, I mean, he's not evil, he's not, you know, possessed, he's not, you know, nothing by that, he's just dealing with a lot and and learning to become more unbuttoned and free from it. Yeah, because I, I mean, that makes me think too that that I think another indication that this episode is going in the right direction is at the end of this episode is not a misdirection is not a shocking cliffhanger you know it's not admiral cornwall being captured by the klingons it's not uh you know lorca's chamber of horrors it's not stamets reflection moving in the mirror it's burnham just kind of there and i like that i mean it's grounding it in the character stuff that i like so much i mean i know i keep saying that i'm a character person not a plot person but this is very much a character episode and I think that's a good indication of of maybe where this show's interests are going. You know, we can only take this one episode at one episode at a time, but this was a good outing. I enjoyed this. I think that stacking this up against where, you know, the next generation was at this point or Deep Space Nine or Voyager, like I think Voyager may have had a little bit of an edge on Discovery at this point, but the rest of them certainly did not. And so I'm liking it at this yeah. point. Yeah, I think it's very important that this episode is dealing with routine and saying these are where these people are. This is what daily life is like on uh, the Discovery. This is what the day-to-day and you know that it ends with the day-to-day and a recognition that things are going to shake up, things are going to change. I mean this is a show that is going to have um, changes in its status quo as it goes on, but – I mean, for example, Ensign Tyler is obviously Vogue still. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I, I saw that he's – there was uh, – in one of the episodes, he's think, drinking something purple, and they're like, well, that's prune juice. He's obviously a Klingon. Okay. I don't know about that, but we'll <laughs> see. I do feel like this is uh, breaking our theory that – you know, because I, I, I feel like – I've kind of said what I need to say about this episode. In some ways, it's a minor episode. Again, it's a hangout episode. It's a light episode. It's some weird shit that happens, and they fix it. Um, But on the other hand, it feels very... I liked it for for its smallness and its tightness and its... 
you know, some of the missteps of this series so far have been it trying to be too bombastic and too big and trying to, you know, put up all of these mysteries and what's going on and what's going to happen. And again, a simple story of here's some stuff. The crew fixes it. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah, Star Trek is not Wagnerian. And and, and, and Star Trek should yeah. probably stop trying to be Wagnerian. Like, it should be more of this. And, you know, Star Trek's been around for 50 years. Star Trek Discovery is not going to completely reinvent Star Trek as much as they might want to. <laughs> They're just not going to be able to. Yeah. All right, well, I think that's it for magic to make the sanest man go mud. And yes, I am continuing that joke. It is the name of this episode as far as I am concerned. If you have any thoughts on this episode, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. You can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. That is a way for you to support our podcast financially. We have many tiers there, all of which are a low dollar amount. So uh, please act now and give us money. If you give us $5 a month or more, every single month, you will get access to one special podcast that we do for patrons only. The one that will be released next Tuesday for the month of November is on the Orville. And uh, I have not edited it yet, but I believe it is a doozy because I yell a lot. So there we go. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we are there. Truck About Show is our username in all those places. And as always, we say this every week. Please leave us an Apple Podcast review. Believe it or not, it really does help the ratings. And we have a new review, Richard. Oh, my God. We've had a lot of reviews lately. I know. We, we have. Yeah, we've, we've had a few. So this one is from Anthony CB. He says, I like his title, too. It's Star Trek, colon, all of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was actually yeah, one of us. the names for Trek. No, it was not. But <laughs> I think we might, <laughs> we might want to rename this show. <laughs> that, no, that that's our tagline. Trek about it's Star Trek, all of it. Yeah. Uh, so Anthony CB says, really enjoying this podcast. The basic dynamic of one Trexpert and one Voyagin. Eh, I'm not a fan of that, but I'll give it to you, Anthony. Oh, it's talking about me, so I like it. Watching every single episode of Star Trek together and discussing them is very engaging. Rather than a simple plot recap, they focus on aspects of character and story themes often covering aspects that I hadn't thought about and letting me look at the episodes with a new perspective. Now is a perfect time to jump in as the usual schedule is on hiatus as they watch episodes of Star Trek Discovery as they come out. Highly recommend it if you have any interest in Star Trek or indeed if you want to be interested in Star Trek but don't know how. Warning. Well, this is this is a good warning for this. Maybe I should read, maybe I should put this at the beginning of the episode. Uh, warning contains some of the most delightful giggling in all of podcast land. I think that's all about you, oh. Richard. I mean, it's true that we do a lot of character and story themes. I have a degree in character and story theme. That that he he does actually. It's called a Master's of Character and Story Theme. It's it's a weird. It, it was a weird program. They only give that uh, degree in one college in the United States. So it, it was really. I asked for it, and they were just like, "Listen, just get the fuck out of here. Sure, whatever you want. Yes, we'll sign it. Go." Well, thank you very much for that very very nice review, Anthony CB. We really do appreciate it. Um, so if you would like to be as wonderful as Anthony CB, please leave us an Apple podcast review. All right. Next or week, leave us an Apple pie. Uh, next week we're talking about, oh, it's our first Latin title. Very exciting. Sivis passum parabellum. 